All of us have been impacted by leaders in our life. Some of us have had wonderful experiences with leaders, men and women who have invested in us and who have demonstrated what it looks like for someone to be a godly leader, a godly influence, someone who's very Christ-like in their leadership, who's left you with an imprint that this is what it looks like. This is the type of leader I wanna be. Oftentimes, the very positive, good leaders that we have in our life leave such an imprint in our life that we end up carrying parts of them with us. We think in our own leadership and whatever domains of authority God gives us in this life, and we think back to those who have been leaders over us in some time, and we try to be like them a little bit. They're images for us to kind of chase after and be a little bit more like. I think many of us have also had experiences of bad leadership. You've been underneath folks who they did not exemplify Christ-like leadership, who they made a series of mistakes, a series of big mistakes, and perhaps even wounded you or wounded those you cared for, and they did not take the responsibility of the authority they were given as leaders in a serious enough way or in a godly enough way, and as a result, there was brokenness that ensued. One of the most popular podcasts right now in iTunes, particularly among Christians, is called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I don't know, if you raise your hand if you've seen this or heard of this podcast. A few of you have. It traces uh, the rise and fall of Pastor Mark Driscoll and his church, which was called Mars Hill. Now, a little background here for you. Mark Driscoll was a very influential man in my life. I came to faith in Jesus when I was 17 years old. I was just going to college uh, that next year, and Mark Driscoll's ministry was just on his way kind of up. It was taking off. And I remember many of his sermons from back then. Those sermons are exactly what I needed to hear time and time again. They challenged me to be a man, to step up. This was what Mark Driscoll was all about. Step up. Be holy in your actions. Throw sin out. Chase after God. Have a healthy marriage. Don't let sin pervade your household. Get after the hard work and do it for the glory of God. I just remember Mark Driscoll, I felt like every time I listened to one of his sermons, he was beating me over the head in the way I needed to be beaten over the head. And as a young man, it was very powerful for me. And it was very difficult for me when Mark Driscoll had his falling. And we don't know the details. I wasn't there. I don't know Mark personally. But from the stories I hear, he developed into quite an authoritarian leader, a leader that really hurt some folks along the way. And this podcast has been chasing and, and, and following a little bit of the story of what happened to him. And frankly, the Lord really dried up Mark Driscoll's international ministry overnight. I mean, he was probably one of the most influential Christian voices on the planet. And within about a week, it all dried up. And I think as I've followed that, I've thought very much about my own leadership. I've thought about what it means to be a spiritual leader that's faithful over the long haul. Now, I, by no means I want to throw Mark under the bus. Again, I don't know Mark Driscoll's story. I don't know the details. Following it from a distance, I wonder what mistakes he fell into that I might avoid and what mistakes have been made by many men and women just like him over the years that all of us can look to and try to avoid. When a leader fails, organizations fail. When a spiritual leader fails, people get very, very wounded. The reality is that no leader is perfect. This side of heaven, every leader you will ever meet, including you, if the Lord gives you leadership, uh, will be a fallen leader. You'll have mistakes that you make. You'll have bad days. You'll handle situations not wonderfully. You'll be a work in progress just like every other person that's around you. But the word of God does have great clarity and instruction for us on what godly leadership ought to look like. And we would do well as Christians to take note of what the word of God says on these issues so we can apply it in our own life and so we can expect it out of the leaders that God's placed in our life. Think of Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. 
but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Well, that flips our vision of leadership on its end, doesn't it? How about Exodus chapter 18, verse 21? Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. God had a plan of leadership for the people of Israel who were in the wilderness, and it involved selecting leaders who were men of integrity, men whose heart matched their mouth, to put them in positions of authority so that there will not be brokenness and cracks in the system as it goes all the way up to Moses, who was overseeing that entire ministry at the time. End of the story is leadership matters. Leadership does matter. And in a church, spiritual leadership matters deeply. In today's passage, we learn a lot about spiritual leadership in this short speech that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders, the elders of the church who were in the city of Ephesus. Now, if you're new to the term elders, what elders simply means are that those who are officially standing in the office of elder within a church. The scriptures give all the qualifications for who is uh, permitted to serve in this role. But at the end of the day, they are the leaders, those who carry the authority to lead, guide, and protect the local church. Today's passage Paul meets with them and he gives guidance on how they ought to lead their church that they've been given the responsibility of shepherding. While I want today's passage to kind of give insight into eldership in a church, because that is what the thrust of the passage is, I also want to broaden it out for us a little bit because I think a lot of the same principles Paul gets after in this passage can be applied much more generally to all of Christian leadership, wherever you find yourself. Perhaps you're a husband and you've been given the authority and the commissioning from the Lord to lead your bride towards Christ. This passage is for you. As you take these principles, you apply it into your leadership of your family. If you're a parent, you've been given authority over the children in your life, moms and dads to shepherd and to point them towards Jesus and to disciple them. I think some of the principles that we learn about what elders ought to look like in a church can be applied more broadly. Perhaps you're a small group leader. Perhaps you're a deacon. Perhaps you serve in our children's ministry. There are principles here that are very important for every Christian leader, while some of them will be unique to elders particularly. So with that, I want to jump right in. I've got five principles today of spiritual leadership, and uh, I think they'll serve us well. Principle number one, spiritual leadership is earned in the trenches. Spiritual leadership is earned in the trenches. The situation we find ourselves in as Paul begins this speech to the Ephesian elders is that Uh, Paul has spent a couple years in the city of Ephesus at this point. The last two weeks, we've been tracing Paul in Ephesus. He's spent a lot of time with these guys, building them up, equipping them, teaching them, persuading Jews and Greeks about Jesus the Messiah. They have seen him hands-on. But Paul has also made a number of enemies. And while Paul's been gone now, he's been traveling around, Paul's been gone, those enemies of Paul's have been trying to sow division and weaken Paul's leadership. They've been going to the Ephesians saying, you know, that Paul, he's not a good guy. That Paul, he's not really a godly man. That Paul, if you really knew him, he's all about himself. His his motivations are all off. And Paul's now gathering the Ephesian elders together, and he's got this speech to give about how leadership is truly earned. Listen to his words, verses 18, sorry, verses 17 through 21. Now from Miletus, that's a city about 30 miles away from Ephesus, He sent to Ephesus, so he sent people out, and called the elders of the church of Ephesus to come to him. About a three-day journey in that day. When they came to him, he said to them, 
You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause right there. Leadership's earned in the trenches. What's Paul saying? Paul gathers these Ephesian elders together and he says, look, I know what you're hearing from those who are trying to detract from my ministry, but you know me. You've seen me week in, week out. You know what I'm about. You know my ministry. You know the love I have for you, he says. He says, don't listen to the voices. Measure me by my actions. That's what leadership is. Measure me by my actions. He's defending his ministry, but he's not boasting in it. He's not trying to say, look at what I've done. He's just saying, I've been with you in your homes. You know me. I know you. You love me. You know what I'm about. He appeals to their long friendship that they've been earned over the many years of ministry together to say, you know my heart. You know what I'm about. And I love this language he uses in verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials. That term serving, it can also be translated, if we were a bit more wooden in our translation, it could be, it could be translated slaving. The concept here is that he gave himself over to the humble Christ-like service of lifting up others ahead of himself. Confessionally, I just want to share with you, as I, as I read this and I think of Paul's words here, serving with humility, with tears and trials, and I think of my own leadership, there's something very compelling about Paul's leadership here. He considered himself a slave to those whom he had been given care over and authority over from the Lord. Many of us, when we think of leaders, the first thing that comes to our mind is those who have the particular qualities of the modern visionary executive. Honestly, when I look around uh, at churches, oftentimes, you know, I'll get emails, it'll say, like, they'll be posting their, we're looking for a pastor who uh, has these qualities, right? Or, you know, this is what we're looking for. And when I see what churches are looking for, the qualities they're looking for are not much more than if, you know, what's a big corporation in Chicago? <laughs> then if Sears, Sears still around? <laughs> what's a major corporation in Chicago? If Sears or Tesla was posting their job description for their next CEO. They're looking for about the same thing. We need visionary leadership. We need entrepreneurialism. We need someone who can lead 100 to 150 people. We need Superman. And we need him to be excellent at social media as well. <laughs> and honestly, I look at these things and I think, you know, there's something not just humorously wrong with that, but the church has got this really upside down if that's what they're looking for in leadership. There's nothing wrong with having the skills of executive visionary leadership, but if those skills are devoid of on-your-knees leadership in prayer, being in homes with people, digging in the trenches of tears, of humility, of trials, I think of the resumes of some of the men and women who are serving overseas. They have no seminary degree, no visionary leadership, but they've been in prison 10 times for the gospel already. Put them on this stage any day. That's who I want leading. And, and there's something about the church leadership when, when we get this wrong, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. We're gonna have countless more podcasts with their eyes and fall on Mars Hill if this is what we're looking for. 
I believe the church needs far less executive visionary leadership and far more humble, disciplined, prayer-filled, Holy Spirit-led leadership. This is a check on my own heart because as a young pastor, I find myself easily swayed into executive visionary leadership and forgetting what the most important things are. John Piper, in his book, wonderful book, I pick this up almost every year. It's called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. He wrote this to pastors. He writes these words. Banish professionalism from your midst. O God, and in its place put passionate prayer, poverty of spirit, hunger for God, rigorous study of holy things, white-hot devotion to Jesus Christ, utter indifference to all material gain, unremitting labor to rescue the perishing, perfect the saints, and glorify our sovereign Lord. Humble us, O God, under your mighty hand, and let us rise not as professionals, but as witnesses and partakers of the sufferings of Christ. Now, this is what you should expect out of your elders and your pastors. And this is what I strive for. And on my weekdays, I'm very far from this. But if you notice, I think that this applies to all spiritual leadership. This is what Christians are. This is what we strive for. Why? Because this is what Christ was like. We're striving to be more like Christ. We're being sanctified by his Holy Spirit. He says, I served you in what? Three things. Humility. Humility. That's considering others better than yourself. Not just in outward actions, but truly in your heart. Believing others are better than yourself. In, in, uh, in tears, he says. You know, think about this. Let's apply this to the children's ministry. I was talking to Nadia, our children's minister, recently about this. Could you imagine if our children's ministry leaders, on a Saturday night before they were serving, were up late at night in tears over the souls of the children they've been given authority to teach those classes over? Lord, would you save these children? Would I celebrate an eternity with these young children who will one day be grow, to grow to be adults, that they would celebrate the Lord, that you would keep them from sin? What if they were praying like those parents are praying? I think most children's volunteers don't pray that way. I, when I served in different, before I was ever a pastor, I think of serving on the Connections team. I don't think I prayed that way. But I think there's a difference, right? If we're, if we're plugging in volunteer spots for the children's ministry, we'll sustain a ministry. If we're teaching spiritual leaders to lead through humility and tears, we'll grow a ministry. Two very different things. And as Christians, we're called to the latter. Spiritual leadership is built in the trenches. Principle number two, spiritual leadership, spiritual leaders have a passion for souls. You know, read verse 20 with me again, and then verse 27. We'll skip around for this one. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. I did not shrink from that. And then verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That term I did not shrink from, it's the idea that he didn't shy away from it. He didn't teach the things that were easy and then kind of shy away from the things that were hard and unsettling. He taught the whole counsel of God. He leaned into the entire counsel of God. Whoever enemies he made along the way, he was interested in teaching the entire counsel of God. Why? Because he was interested in a passion for souls. He was passionate about souls, seeing them built up in, in the full counsel of God, not just a partial counsel of God. Because if you shy away from the hard things, then over time, people ignore the hard things and you slip down a slippery slope away from the Lord. And so faithful leaders in Christ need the entire counsel of God as their tool belt. 
Once again, I, I want to confess. This is a very confessional message for me. He's te- Paul's, Paul's preaching to, or he's teaching Ephesian elders. And as an elder of this church, I'm going through each of these principles. And I've been asking myself this week, is this true of me? And the sad truth is, I think oftentimes it's not. On my best days, I have, sh- I have shadows of this. I struggle with this. You know why? Because there's something about, there's a balance in this particular one. It's really hard to hold. And I, I, I fight for this. The balance is on the one hand, you want to be like Paul, right? And teach the entirety of God's counsel in all boldness. That's tough to do in our safe space culture we're living in. I'm just telling you. We live in a hypersensitive culture. Everyone's offended at everything you say. So to teach the whole counsel of God, pretty tough, okay? It's just hard. So I want to do that boldly and unashamedly. Then over here, I want to be so gentle that I'm dripping with tears with people in their homes, and I just, I gotta confess, that's a hard tension. I find myself pull, like leaning on the wrong one at the wrong time, I, th- I feel like at times. But I think trying to hold that tension is what spiritual leaders have to do. I think that's the calling. I don't think it gets easier. I think the only way to navigate that tension is if you are digging into Jesus so deeply and courageously every day that he just keeps giving you this gentle nudge, a little more here, no, 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 not that time, not this time. Now a little more here. They need, they need a hug. They need you crying with them. On, no, this person, okay, now you gotta lean in here. See, the only way to do that is if you're gleaning wisdom from the Lord. If, if you're the executive leadership that's just making the call, the gut call, you're gonna make it wrong every time. But if you're digging into the Lord, you'll find the pathway through this. You'll do it imperfectly, but you'll do it in community, and you'll... You'll make mistakes, and then the Lord will give you grace as you move forward. Number three, in light of today, this is a good one. Spiritual leadership is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Spiritual leadership is a marathon, not a sprint. Verse 22 to 24. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Pause there. That language constrained, what it means is the Spirit has him locked into a trajectory, and there ain't anyone that's going to take him from it. We're going to see that next week. They practically beg him not to go next week. But he says, nope, I'm constrained by the Spirit. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know, oh no, let me pause there. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. First of all, verse 24 is a memory verse that every Christian should have locked and loaded in their heart. Every Christian should have that. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course. The Christian life, particularly in spiritual leadership, but in all of the Christian life, is a marathon. And God has given you a commissioning. Here's what I've made you for, and here's the work I've given you to do. And the greatest mistake we can make is to look for shortcuts on the route. To think that the path to more maturity and the path to deeper holiness and a deeper walk with the Lord is as easy as buying a Big Mac. And that's what we're being tricked into. We speed through life a thousand miles an hour. And these little gadgets we have don't help. Everything is faster. I was talking to recently a Christian, uh, someone who's in Christian radio. And they were saying, you know, only 15 years ago, we used to be able to play whole sermons, 35, 40, 45 minute sermons without breaking them apart. They said, today, the max length we can play of a sermon clip is seven minutes before people change the radio station. They've got no patience. They can't endure it any, lo- any longer. 
They can't sit for a longer period of time. And so what do we need? We need shorter devotions. We need shorter writings. We need shorter sermons. We need shorter worship services. And I'll tell you what, it's not gonna cut it. Holiness is not built in a life with shortcuts. You won't get there. You only gotta read any of the saints of old to realize that this thing we're, we're doing, we're chasing after Jesus, it's a lifetime pursuit of building daily habits that increase in time, not shrink over time. Wherever the Lord has you in your devotion life, if it's 10 minutes a day, build that habit. Build it to 12 minutes. Build it to 15 minutes. Fight for an hour. Build it to an hour and a half. Over the course of your life, it continues to grow. These habits are what build your strength in the Lord. There's a wonderful book by Eugene Peterson. I've been quoting him a lot recently. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Isn't that a great title for a book? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That basically captures what I'm trying to say right now. But there's a longer quote from this section as he reflects on a lifetime of pastoral leadership. And I want to read the longer quote to you. I think it has relevance to everybody in this room. My primary pastoral work had to do with scripture and prayer. I was neither capable nor competent to form Christ in another person, to shape a life of discipleship in man, woman, or child. That is supernatural work, and I am not supernatural. Mine was the more modest work of scripture and prayer, helping people listen to God, speak to them from the scriptures, and then joining them in answering God as personally and honestly as we could in lives of prayer. This turned out to be very slow work. From time to time, impatient with the slowness, I would try out ways of going about my work that promised quicker results. But after a while, it always seemed to be more like meddling in these people's lives than helping them attend to God. More often than not, I found myself getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit had been doing long before I ever arrived on the scene. So I would go back, feeling a bit chastised by the Lord to my proper work, scripture and prayer. Prayer and scripture. I really want to run that race faithfully. Not, not before I'm a pastor, just as a Christian. I want to run that race faithfully, don't you? Don't you want to get to the end of that marathon race, cross the finish line, be welcomed into the gates of heaven, see the Lord put his arm around you, say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to be able to look back and say, there was a steady discipline of pursuing the Lord throughout my life. I didn't look for shortcuts. I grew faithfully over the long haul. There are no shortcuts. The life of discipline and steady obedience is rarer and rarer these days. And I just wanna push us and challenge us to take it steady, to build faithful habits, and to lead in the same manner. Principle number four, spiritual leaders protect their flock. Spiritual leaders protect their flock. Verses 28 through 32. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Notice, he begins that section which way? Inward. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Faithful shepherds, faithful Christian leaders, the first thing you need to do is know that your leadership is utterly dependent on your personal walk with the Lord. 
I wanna go back through some of the various leadership place zones and domains I listed out earlier. Husbands, you have a commissioning and a calling on your life to lead your bride towards Christ. I see Nick and Jasmine over here. I just did your wedding just a couple weeks ago. Welcome back, congratulations. The message I gave at your wedding was this, to pull each other towards Jesus, to be pulling each other towards Christ, who's your, the end of your road. Husbands, you have a particular commissioning in your life to lead your brides, parents over your children, small group leaders, deacons, wherever your lane of authority is that God's given you. If you're not first looking inward to foster deep growth in the Lord, and you're trying to minister out of not having that depth with the Lord, you will slowly hurt people along the way and you'll burn out. Ministry, what ministry is supposed to be is an overflow of the Holy Spirit in your life that each and every day you're filling up, you're bringing in what needs, you're, you're getting correction from the Lord, leaning in on the Lord, your cup is full and then overflowing and then out of an overflow, you then minister and lead into other people. If you see other people in your life who you desperately are concerned for, and you wanna love, and you wanna care for, and you wanna see them get the help they need, the best thing you can do is make sure that you're so filled with the Holy Spirit that when your path bumps into their path, that literally think of a cup bumping into it, it's overflowing. They're getting the excess Holy Spirit in your life. If you're going up to them and your cup's only a quarter full, you got nothing to offer. You're only gonna end up hurting yourself and everybody else. Paul says you gotta protect from wolves in the flock. The language here is of a shepherd protecting his sheep. Now, you remember David in the Old Testament? Remember the story where David fights Goliath? This is an incredible moment. David goes to fight an actual giant, a historic giant. He's just a kid at the time. He's small, and he's going to fight a giant. Goliath gets out on the battlefield. He says, what, do you send me a flea? <laughs> like, what are you sending to fight in my place? You know what David's words were before he went on the battlefield? He said, I'm a shepherd. He goes, I protected my sheep from bears and lions in the past. I'll be able to fight Goliath, no problem. I trust the Lord. See, shepherds were pretty gritty. We've got this kind of little Bo Peep uh, picture of what a shepherd was. A better, a better picture of a shepherd is more like John Wayne, okay? It was a cowboy in those, in those days. It was the guy who lived out in the field and was protecting his sheep from the dangerous animals and predators and, and people who were trying to steal sheep out there. And they had a weapon on them. It was their staff, and they knew how to use it. They'd fight off wolves. Anyone who tried to get to their sheep, they're gonna have to get to the shepherd. And you did not wanna mess with a shepherd. Shepherds protect their sheep. He lists two types of wolves that can come into, into, a, into a church. Wolves that come from outside the church who intend harm on a flock. We've had a number of those over the years. Particularly, I can tell you a number of situations we've had. I think of men who have come in here uh, and I've noticed that almost every week it looks like they're picking off our single women at the doors. And it's, just, it's only not a matter of weeks where I go, what are you here for? We've had that situation a number of times over the years. Wolves coming in, not here for the purposes of building up the church. We've had situations, I think of a couple situations where my wife was with me at a meeting, meeting new people in the church, and my wife and I left and said, I am so glad Sarah was here for that meeting because that person was not here for the upbuilding of this church. They were here to tear down this church. And Sarah and I look back on that, and it's the Lord's providence that she was there at those meetings with us. Oftentimes, wolves come from outside the church. And as faithful shepherds, what you want your pastors doing is you need to be praying for a sensitive spirit to be able to discern when something's not quite right. 
And when you sense that in your spirit, I'll be teaching on prophecy next week, but when you sense that in your spirit, to listen and continue to ask the Lord to reveal what you want to do. Some wolves come from outside. Sometimes wolves bubble up from inside. Now that's a whole other thing. That's very dangerous. And you look at the language that it, that it says. It says that they twist the words. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Oftentimes what happens is that bad theology comes into the church under people who intend good things, but actually are wolves in sheep's clothing, not realizing what they're doing is wolfish behavior. Bad theology can slip into the church very quickly. Over the years, we've seen this happen, and we've had to correct a number of people who thought they were bringing what they believed was good theology into their small groups. All of a sudden, we have an entire small group that's saying something that's way out of bounds of historic doctrines of Christian, Christian faith. What happened? They're taking truth, twisting it, and then propagating that truth in the church, and we have to defend against that. Now, there's one other type of wolfish behavior that happens in the modern church today that your shepherds and your pastors need to be on guard against. And part of my role and the elders in this church's role is to guard against. Oftentimes in our modern form of communication, most ideas come into the church not by an individual coming and teaching on a platform, but through authors, blogs, and podcasts. Ideas come into the church. It's a very new world that pastors are living in, trying to uh, bring clarity in the midst of all the ideas that are coming into your minds every single day through the podcasts you read and the blogs you read. And it's very difficult to navigate all of these and try to filter through them and give guidance and coaching. Can I tell you, we are living in a day where all the old heresies that have been expunged are on the rise and being uh, have a, a new coat and a new sheen put on them, and they're being sold to modern Christians. Liberation theology is back and alive just as much as it was in the 60s. Liberation theology is a heresy. Liberation theology had good merits to it when it began. It was a, an attempt to correct a mistake of the evangelical church not stepping into broken places and being a voice to step into injustices. And so liberation theology came along and said, no, Christians need to step into injustices. But it went too far. It overcorrected. And it removed itself from the historic doctrines of sin and salvation in Christ alone. And it became the church is all about justice seeking, apart from understanding what sin is, apart from a relationship with God. And that was considered a heresy from the Christian church. And is, that's the, the correct rebuke of that heresy, even though it had good beginnings. Liberation theology is alive and well again. It's just being sold under a different package and a different name brand today. We can go through the list of many of the old heresies that are alive and well coming in. And one of the jobs of the pastor, of the spiritual leader, is to discern the ideas that are coming in, to faithfully and humbly be learners, and to try to steer the flock through all the challenges that are coming to maintain faithful Christianity as much as possible. This is difficult work to untwist twisted ideas. It takes a community leaning into each other together. Principle number five, spiritual leaders know that the battle is won on their knees in prayer. This is perhaps the most important point. The end of this scene is breathtaking, and you probably would skip over it like I did the first time I read this without realizing how beautiful this is. Remember Paul, wrapping up his third missionary journey. He's stopping by. He called the elders from Ephesus to a three-day journey to come see him. He gives them this word. Listen to how they all end this time together. And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. 
Don't miss it. He got on his knees with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. That scene is what every spiritual leader should pray for would be the day if the Lord ever called them away. Paul gets on his knees and prays. I wonder what he prayed. I wonder what that sounded like. I imagine it was something like this. Lord, I can't be here. You've called me somewhere else, but would you protect these people? Because I love these people. I've given my heart to these people. I've bled for these people. I was in chains for these people. Would you build them up? And I know that persecution's coming their way. I know that suffering's coming their way. And I wish that I could be here and protect them from it, but I can't. But God, you can. Would you protect them? And can you just picture the whole room just crying together, praying all night? And it says that they accompanied him to the dock. I mean, that's a friendship, isn't it? They so love this man that as he says, I got to go now, I got to get on the ship that's going to Jerusalem, they go down to the dock, and I just imagine that those men are weeping on the dock as the ship and the, the last flicker of the ship goes over the horizon of the Mediterranean Sea as they say goodbye to their friend Paul, who has so invested his life into them. See, spiritual leadership is earned through prayer, through tears. Paul was entrusting to the Lord the work that he could no longer do because he couldn't be there. And he knew the Lord was far more powerful than he was to protect and to lead and to steer that church where he couldn't go. Spiritual leaders ought to strive for this type of relationship building. That there would be tears and a farewell and a deep friendship that is so Christ-like. See, isn't it Christ-like when you look at Paul? All these qualities and principles we've just been looking at, the standard bearer of leadership is Jesus Christ. He is where we get it all. That's the standard. And all of us fall short of that standard. I mean, think of the life of Jesus. Jesus knew when to be firm. Remember when he told Peter, get behind me, Satan? I mean, that's a bold leadership right there. That's pretty, that's pretty edgy to say that to somebody. Get behind me, Satan. That wouldn't go over too well if I said those words to someone in our church. He was bold, but he knew when to be gentle. He knew when to recline at the table and have a meal with a sinner and attend a wedding. Jesus knew when to make a whip of cords and reform the temple, and he also knew when to wash his disciples' feet. He was constantly spending time with the Father. Jesus was constantly filled by the Spirit. Against the standard of Jesus, every one of us is going to fall very short. The beauty of the gospel is that there's grace for sinners like us, and there's not just grace to forgive us for our sins because Jesus went to the cross on our behalf to shed his blood for folks like us who would never get this right, who would always have a sense of pride in our leadership and would always be steering in the wrong direction. He went to the cross for us, but then he commissions us and empowers us to not be the same forever, but to be a changing people who are more like Christ each leg of the journey. Each one of you have been commissioned by the Lord with some level of leadership, wherever you are in your life. Our domains, our lanes of authority will differ from person to person. The responsibilities assigned will differ from person to person, but the principles are applied across the board. Let me finish this with two principles. I'll invite the music team up. Two principles for you to think of here. Applications, I mean. Number one, when you find yourself in seasons or positions of spiritual leadership, it requires utmost humility because if you lack humility, you will get this wrong every time. You need to be quick to listen and very slow to speak. Number two, 
The last year and a half has been very difficult for any Christian leader to lead through. There are landmines everywhere. The way I think of pastoral leadership, the image I have in my brain at least, maybe that's just me, is of a a captain of a ship who's on a ship and he's looking over and, and you're going through incredibly foggy water. It's so foggy you can barely see 10 feet in front of you, but you know you're steering through an old minefield. And you got the, the, got the team up in the crow's nest up there. And you got the team looking out and you're yelling, does anybody see a mine? No? Yes? Go right. <laughs> Starboard. What's the other side? Go left, right? Just go this way. Because there's mines everywhere and you're staying up late and you're, you're looking everywhere you can just trying to save the ship from sinking. That's what the last two years have been like. And I, and I want to I say this to you. I think across the board, uh, we need a unifying moment in the church. We, we can have choices. You know, this church, just let's be blunt for a moment. This is a safe space. We've had a lot of folks move over the last year. COVID's been rough on the city, right? We've had a lot of families move out of the city. After State Street was pretty much burned, we had a lot of families pick up and move to the suburbs. Our community is very different today than it was a year and a half ago. Difficult decisions, wear a mask or not wear a mask in the service, have been dividing lines for communities like ours. It really has. And we can all load up on our science, on this side or that side. There's great thoughts to be had all across the board. I can tell you this, leading the ship through that minefield, (laughs) whew, and I think what we need as a, as a team, can I, can I use that language for us, a team? I think what we need is a really unifying moment where we kind of just say, you know, we can choose to be divided over pretty much everything at this point. We can all choose to go our own way. We can all choose to have our own opinion and we can fight over it till Jesus comes back. Or we can get after the mission we've been called to. We can have incredible humility with each other and we can deeply encourage one another. Your leaders need encouragement across the board. That's not me, I'm saying all of your leaders. They all need encouragement. Parents need encouragement. This has been a crazy season for parents. Trying to figure out the school system right now. Your parent, the parents are exhausted, I'm telling you that. Everyone needs a word of encouragement. My aim to you as I, I wrap this up, and I, 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 want, I want to inspire in you a sense that you have a commissioning from the Lord as well to respond to those who have authority over you in some spiritual lane, to be an encouragement to them, to lift up their shoulders, say, I see this in you. I know you're chasing after it imperfectly as you are. You're chasing after it. Keep going. Like cheer on those marathon runners today. It's a long journey. We need each other. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We really do. Church is a messy, messy place, isn't it, Lord? But you knew that to fill the sinners like me, sinners like every person in this room. But you went to the cross for sinners like us. You saved us. You rescued us. You ransomed us. You shed your blood for us. And Lord, we want to love your church the way you love your church. You guide us, Lord. You do. It's not up to any one person to steer a ship through the minefield. It's all on your shoulders. Our burden is light because you carry it for us. And so, God, I pray for every leader in this room, parents, husbands, small group leaders, deacons, 
everyone who's been given leadership in some capacity, children's workers, greeters, tech team leaders. Oh, Lord God, would you encourage them right there now deep in their souls? The way that we cheered on those marathon runners, Lord, would you just cheer them on right now? Say, way to go. You've trained for this. You're doing it. Keep going. It's hard. Keep going. God bless us today with that, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You stand as we worship.